0: It's Friday, January the 8th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Trump relents under pressure and Boeing coughs up. First, the world in brief. Having incited a mob to storm the Capitol on Wednesday and for two months peddled false allegations that the presidency was stolen from him, Donald Trump finally acknowledged Joe Biden's incoming administration and committed to a peaceful transfer of power. Pressure has mounted on the president since this week's assault on democracy, committed by both Trump-supporting rioters and, arguably worse, lawmakers who had tried to overturn the election results. Two members of Mr Trump's cabinet, Betsy DeVos and Elaine Chao, resigned over his role in the lawlessness. Several lawmakers, both Democrat and Republican, called for Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Mr Trump from office. Others want him impeached. Meanwhile, Mr. Biden continued to flesh out his cabinet. He has reportedly picked Gina Raimondo, the governor of Rhode Island, as his secretary of commerce. Mr. Raimondo is a moderate Democrat who once co-founded her own venture capital company. Mr. Biden was also said to have selected Marty Walsh, the mayor of Boston, to serve as his Labour secretary. Boeing agreed to pay $2.5 billion to settle criminal charges that it misled safety officials who were investigating the firm's 737 Max airliner. America's Department of Justice said the playmaker had chosen the path of profit over candor by withholding information following two crashes in 2018 and 2019, which killed 346 people. Some $500 million will go towards compensating victims' families. The government of Minas Gerais, the Brazilian state in which a dam collapsed in 2019, killing 270 people, said that it is seeking at least $5.3 billion in compensation from Vale, the mining company that owned the dam. Discussions between officials and the company over damages are continuing, ahead of a court-mediated hearing later this month. The COVID-19 vaccine developed by Moderna will probably offer protection against the virus for up to two years, according to the company's chief executive. The speed at which vaccines have been developed means scientists have less data than they usually would about the longevity of any inoculation. The Moderna shot was approved by the EU on Wednesday. Britain approved two anti-inflammatory drugs, tocilizanab and sarilumab, for use in COVID-19 patients, admitted to intensive care units. Early trial results showed that the drugs, when administered within 24 hours of hospital admission and coupled with dexamethasone, a steroid drug, could cut the risk of mortality in ICU patients by nearly a quarter. Matt Hancock, Britain's health secretary, said the treatment could save hundreds of lives. An Indonesia freed Abu Bakr Bashir, the Islamist cleric who founded the group behind the Bali bombings of 2002 which cost 202 lives. Mr Bashir was sentenced to 15 years in 2011 for financing a terrorist training camp. His release was a result of his serving his sentence well, said an official. Joko Widodo, Indonesia's Prime Minister, may also be keen to woo devout Muslims. And now here's today's agenda. A further step down. America's Labour Market Since April, when the unemployment rate hit nearly 15%, America's labour market has created jobs at a monthly average of over 1.5 million. But the rate of increase has slowed dramatically. Today's jobs report will probably be the weakest of the post-April run, with economists expecting that America added around 100,000 jobs in December. In part, that is because the easiest gains have already been made, But it is also because the economy started slowing noticeably in November as a third wave of COVID-19 prompted a cutback in consumer spending and the imposition of stay-at-home orders and as the effects of the stimulus package passed in the spring waned. A new stimulus bill should help and vaccinations should at some point put a lid on new infections. But around 11 million people are still unemployed, 5 million more than in March. For them, economic recovery seems a long way away. Power play. Kyrgyzstan picks a president. Voters in Kyrgyzstan will elect a new president on Sunday after political unrest ousted the last one in October. The third popular uprising to topple a leader in the turbulent Central Asian country since 2005. The favorite is Sadyr Japarov, a charismatic populist with an enthusiastic following and a checkered past that includes imprisonment on kidnapping charges and service in the administration of a corrupt president overthrown in 2010. After that revolution, Kyrgyzstan abandoned strongman rule and embraced a more democratic parliamentary system, a rare feat in an authoritarian region. But that may change this weekend. Besides the election, a referendum offers voters a choice between retaining a parliamentary system or a new constitution granting the president more power. Mr. Japara favours the latter. His critics fear that if he and the proposed constitution carry the day, Kyrgyzstan will slide back into autocracy. No matter how Kyrgyzstan votes, the new president is unlikely to feel secure. Intractable tractors Indian Farmers Protest After tens of thousands of farmers on tractors converged outside Delhi yesterday, the latest demonstration in a movement that began in November and which has seen more than 250 million people go on strike, talks resume today between the protesters and Narendra Modi's government. Previous rounds have stalled. More than 30 farmers unions insist that a trio of reforms rushed into law in September be scrapped. Experts largely welcome the laws which aim to disentangle Indian agriculture from stifling rules and make it more competitive. The government claims at least 10 rival farming unions, mostly based in southern and eastern India, support the reforms. But farmers in India's richest grain belt, north and west of Delhi, prospered for decades under the old predictable if imperfect rules. What they want is not freer markets, but stronger prices for their crops. And they have proved willingly to brave tear gas, bitter cold and downpours to make their point. Law and Disorder Republicans React to Donald Trump After electoral defeat and mob violence, might Donald Trump's malign grip on his party be loosened? Maybe. Congressional Republicans who voted to overturn the presidential election knew they would fail. Mr. Trump's attempt to suborn Republican officials in Georgia did the party no favours there. Some of his supporters in Congress have belatedly been emboldened to criticise him. But this is still short of wholesale repudiation by the Republican establishment, without which it is hard to imagine Mr. Trump relinquishing his hold. Still, it is now more imaginable. Mr. Trump's media cheerleaders, all law and order obsessives, may find it hard to dismiss Wednesday's images from the Capitol. Middle America dislikes mob violence and cherishes the symbols of its democracy. The Republicans lost support after Timothy McVeigh blew up a federal building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people in 1995. The parallel isn't exact, but indicates how far Mr Trump and his MAGA shock troops appear to have overstepped. The Best Laid Plans North Korea Kim Jong-un, North Korea's dictator, opened the congress of the ruling Workers' Party of Korea this week with a bold admission of failure. His country's five-year economic plan had, he admitted, immensely underachieved in almost all sectors. The get-together, the first since 2016, aims to set a new course for North Korea. The country could hardly be heading in a worse direction. In response to COVID-19, Mr Kim deepened his country's isolation closing the border with China, a crucial economic lifeline. That compounded the country's isolation. Trade collapsed by an estimated 80%, food prices are rising sharply. If Mr. Kim cared about his people, he would welcome foreign vaccines and initiate the kind of market reforms that set communist China and Vietnam on the path of growth. Instead, yesterday he was reported to have told the Congress of plans to increase the country's defence capabilities. Finally, here's the quote of the day from François Mitterrand, who died on this day in 1996. A man loses contact with reality if he is not surrounded by his books. That's it from The Economist morning briefing available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast.